Hello and welcome to the latest episode of Heads Talk with me, Elaine Pringle-Schwitter, the podcast where we talk to C-level executives, leaders of institutions and heads of multinationals. One of the current topics they talk, we listen. Can you imagine getting into a business or a market where you actually spend a hundred billion plus on a piece of paper? Are you kidding me? It was like a frying pan of a head. I got nothing against CFOs. It was not just the job of a lifetime, it was the job of a thousand lifetimes. fifth week of the Look Back series um, have two very knowledgeable individuals that I have the pleasure to call colleagues um, from Deloitte and KPMG respectively. Thomas Romero is an all-round great guy and he's been a colleague of mine in our days in Deloitte and when I moved to the Circo group there he was. So uh, another two conversations during the lockdown just just have a listen to them both full episode in the show notes and it was a great conversation with both which I hope to repeat someday soon. Um, I have a couple of clients that uh, have been going through an implementation of a collaboration technology like Microsoft Teams for example which is not a big deal from my point of view but they took the bold approach to implement it across the whole organization. Now when you do that at that level, that basically means that you're able to share documents, you're able to do video conference calls, you're able to share information a lot more quicker so that you do not have to deal with the fact that um, I'm not able to continue to make revenues, I'm not able to uh, basically build clients, etc. from that point of view, and I'm also able to meet my deadlines. Uh, so... Um, I don't know if those examples were, were, were exactly some of the things that your listeners are also going through probably, uh, but um, what I'm noticing as well is that if um, companies that are actually have started to ask us those things since the month of February and March, we had to be very clever on how we were able to do those things quickly for them and how to roll them out on, uh, on a remote way as well. Mm-hmm. Given the fact that um, how do we get uh, laptops to them when uh, there's problems in manufacturing in China or in Malaysia because there is no there is not enough workers, um, you know how do you help manufacturing companies switch manufacturing locations? Given the fact that China, Malaysia, and other countries uh, may not have enough people on the ground because of COVID nineteen, mm-hmm. that has also been the other interesting dependencies as well. All right. That's, that's quite fascinating. So, some of the stuff I'm, I'm taking from you is that there was a major lack of foresight in a lot of the organisations in getting themselves ready for something like this. And on the other hand, there was a lot of ingenuity by some of the organisations. And I, I kind of want to expand on the, the ingenuity and the side of things. I think perhaps let's look at um, AI, robotics and autonomous systems. Um, this is another area of your expertise. Um, what role will a sort of RPA, for my listeners, robotics process automation and artificial intelligence play going forward post-COVID-19 that perhaps was not a role considered prior to the outbreak? Um, do you welcome it? Um, I, have, I have seen an increase in the use of, say, drones for services. Um, only recently, the UK government were considering the use of drones for delivering supplies to remote and hard-to-reach areas in the United Kingdom. Um, please tell my listeners your thoughts on this and what have you seen? Well, um, 
how would I, uh, <laughs> one thought came to mind um, as you were asking me that question was around the fact that the most ingenuity gets implemented when humankind is, um, is being put to the test or is against the wall. Uh, so um, in Second World War World, we invented uh, so many things in, uh, across the board to help us win battles. In this one, uh, to be honest with you, the, the fact that certain governments have actually utilized technology like artificial intelligence, robotic process automation, uh, leveraging drones, uh, leveraging IoT, uh, it's, you know, for social distancing measures, et cetera. And it's been a variety of, of countries that have embraced, embraced those uh, technologies to make that happen. Um, and, I, and I probably agree with everybody that you said in terms of each government doing those things. I like the fact that how the South Koreans have leveraged basically AI, uh, same thing with certain parts in China, mm -hmm. uh, same thing with the UK, the UK government trying to basically uh, do uh, the logistic part into interesting areas where they cannot do it with drones and leverage others, other logistical approaches. That sounds great. However, what I've noticed as well is that many firms and individuals that have been supporting those robotic process automations and artificial intelligence type of programs before COVID-19, they have been able to quickly adapt into putting programs into place. So for example, uh, looking at how some of the banks uh, across the world are basically leveraging AI and also RPA to support people in regards to, you know, business loans that have been approved with a guarantee across different governments. For mm -hmm. example, that has been amazing. Instead of spending a whole year doing that, they were able to do that in a matter of weeks. Mm -hmm. uh, for example, uh, air travel cancellations of, across many airlines, including mm -hmm. some of our clients across Asia Pac and across the Nordics who are airlines, been able to cancel uh, reservations, being able to reschedule them, uh, offer, offering clients different options based on what they're choosing, uh, and in embedding some of the RPA uh, key steps without having to leverage a human being on the other side have been incredible. That has been amazing. And same thing with most of the customer service center businesses that are driven to support clients uh, are leveraging a lot more of the AI selection of choices so that people are able to get things done faster without having so many folks, so many employees require. Mm. Um, however, uh, I want to go back to my, um, my cautious words. A lot of firms are also in the other side in which they have not done anything around RPA, artificial intelligence, leveraging IoT, leveraging drones, etc. Just imagine a manufacturing company not being able to continue to uh, create their products because their assets or machinery mm -hmm. is down. Mm -hmm. uh, and they have no way to confirm that it's actually down. So one of the key things that IoT and AI help you with it's around the fact that you're able to understand exactly what sensory formation is there, so you're able to fix things pretty quickly. Imagine if you haven't done those things, then you found yourself in a situation in which you need a human to be there, 
and whilst everybody is in lockdown mm-hmm. and you may not have enough PPE equipment to be on the field with all the people, then it makes it a very tough job to keep a manufacturing plant open. Hilary Thomas was the chief medical officer at KPMG and she was an essential conversation to have during this lockdown. Do you think there is a ticking time bomb on the mental health of the workforce that's currently in lockdown? What potentially awaits us all? How will the state cope with such an increase for help and assistance with mental health issues and problems? Is this something that we should be preparing ourselves for? And also, as a side, I suspect, and you've, you've mentioned it um, briefly in, in the answer to the previous question, I suspect that this may affect the economy at a greater rate than envisage. What are your thoughts on this? Area? So I think the truth is all of us are having our mental health impacted by COVID um, because nothing is the same. You know, the ability to go out for dinner, the ability to hug your children, Mm. uh, the ability to see your elderly relatives. I personally have a mother with dementia who I haven't seen for two and a half months now, and she doesn't understand why. Uh, So it's very difficult, I think, and there is pressure on all of us. And then in addition to that, you know, not knowing when you might have your next holiday in what you would have expected a holiday to be, Mm-hmm. or you know, what will the economic impact be for you, uh, creates huge uncertainty that we're all having to live with. And I think undoubtedly there will be a mental health cost to that. But on a positive note, it was Mental Health Awareness Week last week, and we are talking about it in a way that previous generations didn't. So I think yes. being able to admit that you're finding it difficult, being able to show your vulnerability and having places to talk about it is very important. I certainly know my employer is taking that very seriously and we are checking in with people and we are trying to watch out for people who we think are particularly vulnerable, perhaps young people who live on their own mm-hmm. or young people who live with other young people, but it's more difficult for them uh, because they, they found themselves locked down with people that perhaps weren't as close as family members. Uh, but I do think we are going to have to be very sensitive to it And then, of course, the economic impact is particularly hard on millennials who are already impacted in many other ways. So I think there is a sense that that generation are being dealt a particularly tough blow. And then there, of course, there are children of school age. What is the impact on them? You know, how will they feel being the generation that perhaps didn't take their GCSEs or didn't take their Mm -hmm. A-levels? And and what will that mean for them educationally? And so I think we are all going to have to be much more sensitive uh, to the impact of mental health and actually give ourselves and each other more space for that. And I think be much more aware of it. I think mental health has been underinvested in for many years as a clinical area. I think Mm -hmm. all healthcare systems would acknowledge that. And perhaps one of the positive things that can come out of this is greater investment in that area. Do you think corporations, do you think corporations should be doing more and probably once the lockdown eases, do you think there's something that they should put in place for when their staff come back into work? What, what are your thoughts on that? Is there something more that they should be doing that you think they're currently not doing or haven't been doing or something new so, you need to try? So I think what is happening is people are doing more what, what you might call pulse surveys. They're doing, they're, they're, checking in online with people and asking them to take surveys so that I think they're therefore monitoring health 
And certainly in the surveys that I've been taking part in, I'm being asked about my mental health. I'm being asked, you know, how do I feel about the current situation? Um, you know, what, what, what is my kind of psychological position, if you like? Mm -hmm. So I think there are opportunities for organisations to take a temperature check, even if people aren't back in the office yet. And then if they need it, and we have a very, very active mental health network uh, within KPMG in the UK, that is reaching out to people and there are resources and people and support there. And we've had various guises in which we've had support networks pop up and I'm sure other organisations are doing the same thing. So I think we just need to be sensitive to it. And I don't think we can afford to wait until people necessarily go back into the office because if you don't have to be in an office, then the likelihood is your employer isn't going to expect you to be back. And I think even if the government says we can relax things, many people are still sufficiently apprehensive, particularly where they have vulnerable people at home with them, or there are risks that they might transmit this to vulnerable people, that they won't want to resume normal working arrangements for some time. I'd like to move on. Um, let's have a look at Brexit. <laughs> um, yes, the forgotten subject during this COVID pandemic. Um, let's talk about a scenario, um, a hard Brexit scenario. In your opinion, what would be the effect of such a Brexit on future responses to a pandemic like COVID-19? So we've actually tested this question with many of our clients. Uh, and I think one of the realities is that because we have, sat, we have lived for some time with the possibility of a hard Brexit. People are probably better uh, prepared and, uh, and met much of the preparedness that they had to uh, make for a hard Brexit also sits with, with being prepared for a pandemic. So I think in, in terms of uh, financial resilience, supply chain resilience, etc., many organisations have already done that. And I think many organisations are now factoring in a hard Brexit because it looks, it looks hard to see how we might avoid one. Uh, clearly, this is a sort of, I mean, we're, we're, we're at least seven months before. Yes, but, but I think clearly uh, anticipating this is quite difficult. Um, if we get to the end of June without an agreement, then I guess we have six months to prepare for a hard Brexit. But it's difficult to see how that will help the current situation uh, because I think it's a time where actually working more effectively globally mm -hmm. is quite important. And perhaps a, a delay would be beneficial? There, I think there's been recent talk about that. Well, certainly Michel Barnier appears to have offered a delay, um, but our current position seems to be that we don't want one, but, you know, again, we may be playing some brinkmanship here. I think it's very difficult to know. I think when we all voted back in 2016, I don't think many people imagined that we would still be here in the middle of 2020. Now, that concludes this episode of the Look Back series. I hope you enjoyed these snippets and do check out the full original episodes in the show notes. Thanks for joining me today on this episode of Heads Talk. Don't forget to subscribe to the show via my website, elainepringle.com forward slash Heads Talk, wherever you get your podcasts. 
Finally, I'd like to thank our sponsors, guests, and you for helping to make the show possible. Please join me next time where I'll be featuring more executives, C-suite leaders, and heads of multinationals. Talk podcast with your host Elaine Pringle Schwitter.